1: really want to encourage you this week. And so let's turn to the Word of God. Open your Bible with me again to the book of Genesis. We were in Genesis 37 last evening, uh, dealing with some of the trials of Joseph's early life, seeing the Lord in his past, and dealing with people and circumstances which we all have. And tonight we turn our attention to Genesis chapter number 39. And Genesis 39 is really the key that unlocks the secret to the blessing of God on his life and on our life. It is an amazing chapter. In fact, if you've got a little Bible ribbon, go ahead and mark it because I'm going to be here tonight. We're coming right back to it tomorrow morning. And I want to challenge you tonight and in the morning to read through this chapter of the Bible. Now, not while I'm preaching to you. Don't sit there and just read. But on your own time, I want you to read through it and meditate on it because when you get to Genesis 39, he's not just dealing with trials. Now he's dealing with temptation. You know, the devil gets a lot of credit for what he doesn't do. And we talk about it, The devil's giving me fits. The devil's just giving me fits. Well, the devil might be giving you fits. It, probably, if it's of the devil, it's one of, one of his minions, one of the hounds of hell on, on your heels. But I'm going to tell you, most often the great enemy I deal with is not the devil. The greatest enemy I have is the one I look at in the mirror every morning when I get up. It's not the world. We blame the world. Some of you, you're involved in something right now you shouldn't be involved in, and you're blaming some friend that got you into it. They may have influenced you, but God gave you a conscience, and God gave you the ability to choose. And when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going to be able to blame somebody else because we all determine how we will respond when the temptation comes. When you come to Genesis chapter number 39, you come to this great moment, this crossroads in Joseph's life. I wish I had time to show you this, but sandwiched between the chapter we were in last night and the chapter we're in tonight uh, is Genesis chapter number 38. And in Genesis chapter number 38, one of Joseph's brothers, a man named Judah, commits a terrible sin. In fact, it's awful. It's, it's immoral and wicked and godless. And I think the Holy Spirit gives us, in Genesis 38 and in Genesis 39, a great contrast. On one hand, you have a man who's controlled by his flesh, And it brings terrible destruction. And on the other hand, you've got our man, the Lord's man, Joseph, who is controlled by the Spirit. And because of that, instead of messing his life up, messing everybody else's life up, messing the nation up, he brings the blessing of God upon his life and upon his family. Look at Genesis 39, beginning in verse number 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper. In his hand. Would you do something? Take your pen out. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you a list tonight, so you're going to need something to write on. So just get you something to write with and something to write on. Even if you don't normally take notes, I'm going to ask you to make a list tonight so that you can meditate on this long after the preacher's done and the meeting is over. Mark something in your Bible. It's repeated. You find it in verse 2. You find it in verse 3. We'll return to the end of the chapter. You'll find it in verse 21. You'll find it in verse 23. Verse 23. What is the statement? Would you mark it? The Lord was with Joseph. I don't know how it was at your house. At our house growing up, if mama said it once, we were supposed to listen. If she said it twice, we were really supposed to listen. And if she had to say it three times or more, it was too late to listen. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When the Lord repeats himself, it is never because he forgot he said it the first time. When the Holy Spirit repeats himself, is because there's something there he doesn't want us to forget that he said. Not once, not twice, not three times, four times in one chapter is this single statement, the Lord was with Joseph. Now, certainly, it means God's presence was there. But I'm going to tell you what I believe this chapter teaches tonight. It was not just that God was there. The reality is God is everywhere. And if you're a believer, everywhere you go, God goes because the Lord comes to live in your life. The secret in Genesis 39 is that Joseph was conscious that the Lord was with him. See, it's one thing to say, I believe God's everywhere. It's another thing to say, I believe God is with every believer and it's quite another thing to say i want to live every moment conscious that god is with me see when you live under the all seeing eye of god and you remind yourself every moment the lord is with me 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 i'm just going to tell you you're going to live different you'll be a different student you'll be a different friend a different employee a different dorm mate a different man, a different woman, because you are living consciously in the presence of Almighty God. I wish I had time to show you this. But did you know that Abraham, the Bible says the Lord is with him? It says the Lord was with Jacob. And it says the Lord was with Isaac. And now it says the Lord was with Joseph. Please don't miss this. We talk a lot about our history and our heritage, and I'm glad And I want to tell you, the same God that was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same God that was with Joseph. And the same God that was with previous generations that sat in this auditorium and came through this school and are serving the Lord today is the same God that is with us at this very moment. Perhaps your grandparents or parents, you say the Lord's with them. I'm glad about that. But I want you to know, them living consciously in the presence of God is not enough. You must learn to live consciously in the presence of God yourself. See, men see totally different than God sees. People looked at Joseph's life, and this was what they saw. Look at the phrase in verse 2 he was a prosperous man. Look at verse number 3 all that he did to prosper in his hand. People thought that the secret to Joseph's greatness was the prosperity that was in his hand. I say to you, the secret was the presence of God that was in his heart. It's never the externals. You can dot all the I's, cross all the T's. Keep all the rules and regulations. Graduate with honors. Be the brightest student in this school. That does not mean God's going to bless and use your life. The secret is not in what men see. The secret is in what God sees. None of us, hear me, none of us are what we say we are. And none of us are what others think we are. All of us are what God knows us to be. And Genesis 39 is God's record of Joseph's life. It's it's not what Potiphar thought. It's not even what Joseph said about himself. It is what the Holy Ghost of God says about his life. And I wonder, when I get to the end and I stand before God and the eternal epitaph is read, what will be said about my life? I tell you, I think the greatest testimony ever given is this. That man lived consciously in the presence of God. The Lord was with that man. Oh, may the Holy Ghost of God raise up some men and women in the student body who don't just get it in their head, they get it in their heart. They don't just toe the line. They say, Dear God, I want to be all yours and have all you have for me. Lord, I want to live consciously in your presence. Not just in a meeting like this, every moment of every day. The Lord was with him. When you come to Genesis chapter number 39, you come to the explanation, I think, of some of the principles of how that happened. And let me just give you this at the outset. Would you write this down across your paper? Last evening, I talked to you about seeing the Lord in your past. So you've got to see. God's been at work to this moment to even get you where you are now. But now, let's talk about something else tonight. Let's talk about remembering the Lord in your temptations. Because the reality is temptations are going to come. I don't know when, where, how. Maybe one of them's already hit you in the face since you've arrived. By the way, temptations come in all different forms. It could be a temptation to do some wicked, immoral thing like Joseph's temptation was. It could be a temptation to criticize, to grumble and complain, to live in unbelief. It could be a temptation to quit, pack up your bags, go on home, throw in the towel. You're not going to make it. I want you to know, you're going to have to, at this moment, whenever the temptation comes, remember something. Here's what you've got to remember. That the same God that put it in your heart to start with is the same God that is with you at this moment. Look, you may not feel him, but you can faith him at this moment. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God did something in your heart, and God is going to fulfill it, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And in the heat of the battle, you're going to have to remember that the Lord is with you. Let's keep reading. Look at verse number 4. Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he'd made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Dr. Shoemaker, you want the blessing of God on this school this year. I want you to know something. I want every student to look at me and hear me with your heart for just a moment. Do you understand that the blessing of God is not just for you, it is through you to everybody else? You understand your one life could be a conduit, a tributary, a channel through which the blessing of God is poured out on a place like this? You hit, listen to me. The blessing of God doesn't come on a place like this because of what happens on a platform. It comes because of what happens in the private, secret lives of all of those who are connected to it. People say they want the presence of God, and then we'll let other things sneak in and take the, the preeminence only Jesus is worthy of and take the priority only God should have. No, no, my friend, if you want the blessing, you must remember the Lord is with you. To this point, all is well for Joseph. I mean, honestly, things are looking up. Resume is looking good. Look at verse number 6. He left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Hey, so far, so good. I think there's a unique preparation going on here. See, Joseph is going to be the overseer of the whole nation here in just a little bit. But now God's getting him ready. By the way, may I just give you this before we read on into our passage? God's getting some of you at this moment ready for something. That's, it'd blow your mind if you know it. You're not ready for it. That's why you don't know it right now. But at this moment, God's getting you ready for what he's getting ready for you. And when the time is right, the Lord knows how to connect the dots. God knows where you are. God knows how to get you into the place of his choosing. You just be content to let the Lord prepare you wherever you are and rest in the providence of Almighty God. The Lord was with him. And then you come to the turning point. Look at verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. Stop just a moment. Do you know when we are most vulnerable to temptation? At our lowest and at our highest. It's interesting. But when you're really low, when you're tired, you're going to experience this when you're worn out, when you've been studying night and day and working two jobs and trying to get through and you're utterly exhausted, you better keep your guard up because the tempter knows how to come around at those moments. But I'm going to tell you when else the tempter loves to come around. When you're living in such success and blessing that you think, hey, this is working out pretty well. I think I about got this thing whipped. And the devil says, aha, we got a little open door here. Here's the first principle I want you to write down. These are things we must remember in our temptations. Number one, I want you to remember that the test always comes after the blessing. You all give tests here. I think you give test here. Is that right? How many of you just love test? Would you raise your hand, please? Big and high? You're the people we don't like. All right? And maybe you're a good tester. Maybe you're a bad tester. I'm not talking about academics right now. I want you to know there'll be tests all through life. (laughs) I'm 47 years of age. I thought at this juncture in my life, all the big decisions would be behind me. I really did. I thought by this juncture, surely I'll have this thing figured out and it'd be kind of smooth sailing. You know what I'm experiencing right now? Test of faith. Test of patience. All these tests in life. After every good thing God does in your life, there will be some test. Would you mark in verse number 7 the little word after? There is always an after. There's always an after. There's always another day, another decision. Uh, another intersection, another juncture on your journey. Look, you haven't arrived. Paul said, I'm not yet apprehended, I'm following after. You you haven't arrived till you get to heaven someday. So you just accept this right now. There are going to be tests, and even when you graduate and leave this academic institution, there are going to be lots of tests because after every blessing, there comes a battle. Look at verse number 8. Praise God for this. I just want to stop and say, thank the Lord for this, but... He refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house and hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Would you write this second principle down? If you're going to remember the Lord in your temptation, number one, you've got to remember that there are always tests. Number two, you have to remember that when no one else is watching, God is. Nobody's in the house. Nobody would know, but God would know. Do you remember Achan? He looked to the left, to the right, in front of him, behind him. Nobody saw him, but there was one place he forgot to look. He forgot to look up. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Some of you are thinking, we've just been here two or three days. I mean... How, what bad trouble could it be in? No, no, look, let me tell you what I'm doing tonight. This is, this is what you call preventative maintenance. That's what this is. See, I worked with college students for a long time, and I'm with a lot of them now every week of my life, and I want you to know that you've become a target of the enemy. The devil would like nothing more than to stop what God has set in motion in your life. From the beginning of time, everything God ordains, Satan opposes, And God has blessed you by even bringing you to a place like this and giving you an opportunity like the one that is in front of you. And I want you to know there's going to be spiritual warfare, and you're going to have to make up your mind that you're going to live every day consciously in the presence of Almighty God. The Lord sees me. By the way, he's got really good eyesight. He sees beneath the surface. He not only sees what you do, he sees why you do it. Joseph references his master with a little M. But I'm going to tell you what kept Joseph right. It wasn't that master. It was that he lived under the authority of another master, the great master, the Lord God Almighty. This earthly man had entrusted lots of things to him. And by the way, as you do well, you'll have more things entrusted to you. But I want you to remember something. Every good thing God brings into your life is given to you not by man but by God. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing in our lives is a stewardship for which we will give account to Almighty God. There is a healthy, holy fear of God it must exist in a place like this and in all of our hearts so that when nobody's looking over your shoulder, when nobody's checking up on you, when nobody would ever find out, you say, I want to do right because I know God Almighty is with me at this moment. We're remembering the Lord in our temptations. Look at the end of verse number 9. Here's a third principle. He asks a question, how then? Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Would you write down a third thing you must remember? You must remember that all sin is against God. All sin. You can sin against your body. You understand that, right? You can sin against somebody else. But in the end, all sin. Private or public, all sin is first, foremost, and forever against God. It is a sin against God's love. It is a sin against God's grace. It is a sin against God's mercy. It is a sin against God's holiness. It is a sin against God's perfect plan for our lives. I want to say to you tonight, if you'll start seeing sin, not like you see it, but like God sees it, it'll change your life. You know the problem? We love our sin. Now, you know, we dress up good and come into a place like this, act real spiritual, sing hymns and pat each other on the back and say amen and God bless you. But there is that besetting sin in every one of us that we nurse and nurture and make excuse for and say things like, well, you know, everybody's got their thing and I'm not as bad as some people and and I'm better than I used to be. And, you know, that's just the way I am. Listen to me. Until you hate your sin, you will never have victory over it. Never. You'll never be a victorious Christian Until you begin to see your sin through the eyes of God. Everything is different from heaven's perspective. Get God's vantage point of your sin. You want to see how bad your sin is? Look at Calvary. Look at the cross. Look at Jesus suffering and bleeding and dying. That's what our sin did. I have a friend in another country who emails me every day. He didn't expect a response. But he prays for me several times every day. And every time he prays for me, he sends me an email with his prayer, what he's praying at that moment. And he closes every bit of correspondence with the same statement. This is the way every email ends. Walk by Calvary every day. That's really helped me. Because it's easy some days to get down and discouraged and despondent. I'm going to tell you what will help you. You make a fresh visit to the foot of the cross. You turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You get your eyes on Jesus and everything else looks small and everything else looks insignificant and everything else looks worthless compared to Christ. You remember that all of our sin is against our good God. You remember David? Stands on the balcony. That night and sees that woman bathing. Sins for her, commits adultery with her. You remember the story? Interesting, isn't it? David is remembered by two primary things. If I say David and everybody in this auditorium, that says David and Goliath or David and Bathsheba. Interesting, men are remembered for their greatest successes and their greatest failures. Bathsheba was the one battle David did not have a battle plan ready for. When he finally got right, you read Psalm 51, you know what he said? He looks up to heaven, and this is exactly what he says, and I quote, against thee." Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Wait a minute. Hadn't he sinned against his body? Yes. Hadn't he sinned against Bathsheba? Yes. Hadn't he sinned against the baby that died? Yes. Hadn't he sinned against the man he murdered? Yes. Hadn't he sinned against the nation? Yes. But when he got thoroughly right with God and thoroughly honest with God, here's what he said. God, I recognize everything I did that night and everything I've done since then to cover it up was against you. It hurt you. It grieved you. You want to have a great year? Get the sin out of your heart. Get the sin out of the secret places of your life. Stop making excuses for it. Stop comparing it with somebody else. Drag it kicking and screaming into the presence of a holy God and say, Dear God, I don't want this anymore. Confess and forsake it. Repent, bring it to God. You know the difference between Joseph and David? When they acknowledged it. David did not acknowledge it was against God till after the sin, Joseph acknowledged it was against God. Before the sin. You will know, look, the greatest thing is never getting the sin to start with. You will know how to keep from making shipwreck and getting into the mess to start with. Acknowledge every day that God is holy and you are not. And you are dependent on his grace. And by the grace of God, you don't want to let anything in your life that would grieve the heart of our great God. Remember, the Lord is with you. Keep reading. Look at verse 10, this God consciousness. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. Here's a principle, write this down. Number four, you better remember that temptation is not going away. Would you mark that phrase, day by day, in your Bible? (laughs) Every day. What is today? Somebody tell me, what is today? What is tomorrow? What's the next day? Let me tell you what today is. You ready? Today's temptation day. And tomorrow will be temptation day and the next day will be temptation day because the devil never lets up and the flesh never gets better. Religious flesh is still flesh. And you can put it in church and you can put it in a Christian college and it's still wicked and hellish and devilish and black-hearted because look, sin never gets better, it always gets worse. You can't trust you. I can't trust me. The only person you can trust is God. He's the only one that's right all the time. So you gotta be on guard. Let him that thinketh, he standeth, take heed lest he fall. There's a lot of gifted people in this room. You know the problem with gifts? You start leaning on them. You start thinking, somehow you deserve it. Somehow you produced it, every good thing in your life God gave you. And I want you to know the moment you start leaning on your gifts instead of leaning on your God is the moment you are setting yourself up for a fall. You need God every day of your life. It's funny, when I started out as a teenage preacher, man, just a kid, I I thought I had all the answers. Thought I had it figured out, tell everybody. And the longer I live, the more I realize I'm just starting to figure out what some of the questions are. And I feel weaker than ever and more incapable and insufficient than ever. And I think maybe that's a healthy and good thing because at this moment in my life, I'm starting to realize, oh, God, I need you today. I I don't just need you some days. I need you every day. I, I need you when I'm up, and I need you when I'm down. I need you when I feel strong, and I need you when I feel weak because day by day, temptation is always lurking at the door. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our what? daily bread, and in the same prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why would he connect all of that? Because you need daily bread, and you need help for daily temptations, and you need deliverance from daily evil. The Christian life is a daily life. It is not lived one day a week. It's not lived one week a year. It's not lived four years out of your life when you're in a Christian college somewhere. It must be lived every day, remembering that the Lord is with you. Keep reading. Look at verse number 10. He hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Write this one down, number five. You've got to remember, if you want to avoid sin, get as far away from it as you can. Run from it. Get as far away as you possibly can. Proverbs chapter 4 says, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. Romans 13, verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. See, here's what we do. People get right over to the edge and they see how close to the edge they can walk without falling off. Let me tell you what to do. You get as far away from that as you possibly can. Live your life every day conscious that the best of us could fall prey to the enemy's wiles and the weakness of our flesh. Dear Lord, I want to live in your presence today. I'm not holy, so you'll have to make me holy. And I can't stay holy, so you'll have to keep me holy. But I'm going to do my part and cooperate with you and stay as far away from sin as I possibly can. You know why I'm preaching this to you tonight this way? Because I'm thinking about the rest of your life. And I'm looking at you thinking about my own girls and my own son. I'm talking to you tonight from my heart and from the Word of God, and I'm I'm, not preaching at you. I'm pleading with you. Don't live your life so close to this world system that you cannot live your life with the power of God upon it. Anybody can drift with the times and go with the trends. Anybody can be like everybody else. You be the Lord's man. You be the Lord's woman. You live in God's presence You be the one in Egypt that somebody said, I'll tell you one thing about that guy, the Lord was with him. So what does he do? With all of his best intentions, still came, look at verse 11, it came to pass about this time Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within, and she called him by his garment. May I just say this? Tomorrow morning you start classes. I'm sorry to bring up a dirty topic in the middle of this spiritual moment, but Tomorrow you're going to start going about your business. Everybody's got their business. And if you think you get out of college and you get you know a title somewhere in business cards and office, and you don't have to worry about that anymore, I just want you to know, there's going to be work and labor and difficulty all of your life. And here's what I want you to know: As you go about your business, God wants all ground to be holy ground. Every day, a holy day. Every moment, an opportunity to prove the sufficiency of God, that Jesus really is more than enough. So here you go. She called him, and she said, verse 12, lie with me. And, would you mark the end of verse 12? He left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Number six, write this down. Remember, there's a time to run. You want to stand? Run. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, flee fornication. He wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy six eleven, flee these things. Again, in 2 Timothy two twenty two, flee youthful lust. I say again, there's a time to run. On the count of three, shout out your age. One, two, three. Happy birthday. That's a great year. Wonderful. I want everybody to add 30 to it right now. Use your fingers, your toes, your nose, whatever you have to do. Add 30 to it. On the count of three, shout out your new age. One, two, three. You're going to be old. That's what you're going to be, all right? You're going to be like the rest of us. I want to ask you something. How many of you would like 30 years from now to have a strong marriage and kids that respect you and a testimony for Jesus Christ? How many of you would like it to be said 30 years from now that, look, you might not be famous and you might not be rich, but you at least have been a testimony for the Lord Jesus and God's blessing rest on your life? How many of you would like that 30 years from now? Raise your hand, please. All right? You don't choose that 30 years from now. You choose that tonight. Those decisions don't come down the road. You're making those decisions right now. And Joseph made a simple decision he ran. I never really pondered this much, but do you remember his original dream, what the dream was? His chief stood, this is the Bible word, upright. Remember that? The brothers didn't like it because they thought it was humiliating to them. And all their chiefs bowed down. And I used to think that meant Joseph's in charge and they're all submitting. There's no doubt that's going to happen when they get to Egypt years later. But I got to studying that word upright. It's really interesting. Look, please. Joseph really did stand upright. Not just in power and position, but in, in his morals, in his character, in his heart, in his integrity. He kept himself upright before the Lord. i got to tell you. The, the greatest struggle I have is not getting right with God. Getting right with God is easy. You can be right with God in a moment by looking to the Lord. The greatest challenge is staying right with God. Anybody else find that to be true? So Here's what you got to do. Every day, got to run. Every day. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, are you still running? A few years ago, I started running. I said, I'm still running. At this age, it's not very fast. It's more of a jog for Jesus, you know, but I'm, I'm still trying to run. And I'm not talking physically, I'm talking spiritually right now. Every day, you've got to run. You say, well, run from sin and run from temptation and run from the world. No, no, it's not just from, it's to, run to Jesus. The Lord is the refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. Run into the presence of God. Run into the promise of the Lord. Run into the reminder, the Lord is with me. In the heat of temptation, when everybody else is bowing, you whisper this to yourself, the Lord is with me. When you're on the verge of giving up, whisper this to yourself, the Lord is with me. When you're having the hardest day of the semester and you think you're not going to get through, let the Holy Ghost make this ring in your soul. The Lord is with you and run into the presence of God. I'll give you one more and we'll stop. Beginning in verse number 12, she says lie with me, he says no. Verse 13, it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, and you know the story, she lied about him. Come over, please. To verse 19, it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. How many of you think we've made quite a dive from the start of the chapter to the end of the chapter? I mean, he's, he's a goodly young man and highly favored and greatly blessed, and life is good. And then you get to the end of the chapter, and he's in the prison. But I want you to write down number seven. You've got to remember that people can take everything from you, but they cannot take your integrity. They took his coat, and they took his freedom, and they took his reputation, but they could not take his integrity. Hear me now. If you lose your integrity, nobody will take it from you. You'll give it up. You can't blame anybody else for that. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. People may talk bad about you. Circumstances may turn upside down on you. Everything may seem to be against you. But here's your one job. You ready for your one job? Let's keep it simple. Your one job is to stay right with God. And if you'll do that, the Lord will take care of the rest. I don't want to get ahead of myself. This is what we're coming back to tomorrow. But would everybody put your eyes on the first phrase of verse 21. Matter of fact, read the first statement of verse 21 out loud with me. Ready? Here we go. But the Lord was with Joseph. This is powerful. The Lord wasn't just with him when he was in the palace. The Lord was with him when he was in the prison. The Lord wasn't just with him when things looked good. The Lord was with him when things looked bad. Why? Because this was a young man that regardless of circumstance and regardless of others was living every day consciously in the presence of God. Now, we're standing right now on the threshold of the year. We're on the front side. In your mind, I want you to hit the button and go all the way to the end of this year. How will it end? You can't know all the details of that right now, nor can I. But I want to ask you a question. When we come to the last chapel of the year, the last service of the semester, when we get to the end, will you still be living consciously in the presence of God? See, lots of people go into it in the presence of God, but somewhere get detoured, off track. You ought to read Luke 4, the temptation of Christ. The Bible says he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Can you imagine that? He's being led of the Holy Spirit into that wilderness where he's going to face temptation. But you read at the end of the story, the Bible says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lots of people who start off being led of the Holy Spirit do not end up being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I came to tell you, at the first of this year, God did not just want you to start well. God wants you to finish well. And the only way that's going to happen is if you learn to live every day conscious of the presence of Almighty God. I'll leave you with this thought. Go back to verse 2 and verse 3. In verse 2, it says the Lord was with him. I like this. But in verse 3, it says his master saw that the Lord was with him. If you start living in the presence of God, you won't have to tell anybody. They'll know. Hey, Moses, you're going to have to cover your face. You've been in the presence of God so long, the glow of God is coming off of you. We can't handle that. They took knowledge of those disciples that they had been with Jesus. You can't hype the presence of God, and if you have him, you can't hide him either. There's no way that you can work up spirituality. It doesn't happen that way. You simply come to God and say, Lord, I just want to be close to you. I don't want anything between me and you. And when you do that, blessed be the name of the Lord, God himself will stamp his image on your life. And you might not even fully recognize it at first, but somebody is going to see the Christ in you and be attracted not to you, but to the Jesus in you because the Lord is with you. And the only way that's going to happen if you will remember the Lord in your temptations.
0: You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College. Empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.